Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. Happy Easter. Does that sound strange a week after Sunday Easter? Well, here in the church, we get to say that greeting for quite a long time, actually 50 days to be exact, as we start the journey from Easter to Pentecost. It's the season in the church that we call Eastertide. It's a season in which we're invited to rediscover and remember and maybe even reimagine what the resurrection means in our lives every day. It's an invitation to think about what we believe. The story we just heard from the Gospel of John about Jesus's appearance to his petrified disciples, first without and then with Thomas a week later, is always read in our tradition on this Sunday, the Sunday following Easter Sunday. It's often referred to as the story of Doubting Thomas, and we now use that phrase to describe someone of little faith or someone who is skeptical. And for the most part, that label is pejorative. It has a negative connotation, pointing out someone's lack of faith or confidence in someone else or a situation, right? Well, I think we have missed something important in this story. If that is how we hear Thomas's need to see Jesus for himself. It seems to me that Thomas is not being petulant, but persistent. Thomas is not being insolent, but inquisitive. And Thomas is not being disrespectful, but determined. And in terms of our faith and what we believe, I think being persistent and inquisitive and determined are still helpful attributes. I don't think we have any reason to doubt that Thomas, a disciple who has walked with Jesus up to and through his death, is in any way less faithful and committed than the other disciples. What I do hear and see in this story today is a follower who is trying to navigate what he believes in a moment that is very hard to make sense of. We hear at the beginning of the story that the disciples are gathered in a house with the door locked for fear of the Jewish authorities. It is evening following the death of their Messiah. And even though they have heard reports of the empty tomb, and some have even seen the empty tomb, the disciples must have been feeling scared and confused right about that point. These disciples had risked everything they knew to follow and believe in this man and his message and his ministry. They had traveled with him. They had eaten with him, they had laughed and cried with him, and gradually they had learned to trust him. And then they watched as he was arrested and tortured and humiliated and crucified and buried in a tomb. What a shock to their systems this must have been. How confused they must have felt. What were they supposed to believe now? And here they were being asked to make some kind of sense of the unthinkable, to somehow trust what could not have seemed real. They were being asked to believe in a completely new experience of Jesus, now the risen Christ. 
What did it take to trade in their sense of loss and betrayal for a new acceptance, a new belief, a new way of following their Messiah? Each of them must have somehow found a way, consciously or unconsciously, to rewrite the story, the narrative, their fundamental way of believing and perceiving reality. They were in the midst of grieving the most significant loss in their lives. Jesus was gone. Jesus was dead. They had been abandoned and now were lost in their own fear. They had to have readjusted their frame of reference in such a significant way that the old story could die and in its place, a new story could be written, a new way of making meaning. And that's the moment I'm interested in today. The moment when we too become courageous enough to let an old story we have told ourselves die in order to let a new, more life-giving story take its place. That's one way that we're called to be Easter people. I've spent quite a bit of time over the years thinking about the stories the church, capital C, have told over the centuries that are honestly not helpful or life-giving to so many of us. Stories about worthiness and belonging. Stories about how a particular way we must profess our faith. Stories about what we are called to believe. Stories about who we are able to love. Stories about who is in and who is out. And in the end, what I have come to know is that God is always better and deeper and wider and more radical than any one tradition or path or church or set of documents could ever fully contain. All of the above are helpful if they are pointers, perhaps, but when they lose the import of the particularity of each of our journeys, I fear they become unhelpful, sometimes divisive, and often abusive. I long for ways to create a community of faith that is humble and holy, always ready to hear the reminder that each of us travels at our own pace on our own holy path. We each carry heavy loads of burden created by a lifetime of stories we have told ourselves and that our faith has told us. Stories from our faith tradition often do inspire, but it is equally true, I believe, that so many of them have hurt us and kept us confined in the tombs of our lives, living with shame or fear or hurt. Social scientist and prolific author and faithful Episcopalian Brene Brown offers important lessons about courage and vulnerability and shame and worthiness, all of which have profound connections to what it means to us to be an Easter people. She has written beautifully about a process that she calls rising strong. In short, it is a three-step process to confront the stories and beliefs that we hold that don't serve us well anymore, and instead work to replace those old narratives with a new version or vision for our lives, a way to make meaning in our lives that support who we are at our very core. It is a process I find helpful as Easter people, working to discern what we believe and why. She writes, in the absence of data, we will always make up stories. It's how we are wired. 
In fact, the need to make up a story, especially when we are hurt, is part of our most primal survival wiring. Meaning making is in our biology and our default is often to come up with a story that makes sense, feels familiar, and offers insight into how to best self-protect. All of Brown's work points towards and encourages us to find ways to live what she calls a wholehearted life. A way she suggests is actually the beginning of a revolution. If we can face into our own lives with courage and vulnerability and engage a process that helps us tell new stories rather than accept the false narratives of the past. And isn't that what our disciples must have yearned for as well? They thought the revolution had come already in the life of the Messiah that they followed. But in one afternoon, all of that changed forever. They had to find a new story. They had to find a new way to make meaning going forward, a way to discern a new ending, or maybe more accurately, a new beginning. Here they were, lost and frightened, following the death of their Messiah, the one that they had believed was sent to liberate and lead them to new life, the one who promised to be with them to the end of all time. Here they must have been feeling not only abandoned, but most likely in fear for their own safety. And then all of a sudden, without a door being opened, appears among them inside of this locked house, their Messiah, their Jesus was back, offering shalom, offering peace. So then how audacious must it have been when Thomas, who wasn't even there for this first meeting, tells them that he not only doesn't believe them, but he won't believe them unless he sees Jesus for himself. You know what? I get that. I totally get that, don't you? How many times have we heard someone else profess their faith and have thought to ourselves, I have no idea what that person is talking about, let alone a willingness to believe what they are saying. I need to have my own faith experience in order to make meaning and discover what I believe. So for me, Thomas is really helpful today and he sets the bar just about where I need it. He shows us a way forward when maybe the others, the other disciples weren't as courageous asking for what they really needed. Maybe they weren't able to express their doubt or vulnerability. Thomas shows up fully and he asks for what he needs, probably risking quite a bit. He is the one who seems to be asking what the other disciples might have been thinking, but never said themselves. He puts himself out there. What will the other disciples think of him for asking so much? But ironically or wonderfully, it is through his willingness to ask for what he needs that allows him to move forward and results in his affirmation of faith. He isn't locked in fear, creating a story of lack and limit like maybe the other disciples were. His questioning of the resurrection actually is his path to faith. So all of this has me wondering, what questions do I have? 
What questions do you have? What questions do we have about what it means to be an Easter people? Do we have questions that are keeping us paralyzed in some part of our life, in some part of our faith journey? How much is either our certainty or uncertainty about faith or God or religion keeping us stuck or locked in fear or shame or hurt? And what would happen if we would channel just a little bit of Thomas this morning and ask our own true questions? Questions that would take courage and risk vulnerability. Questions that might reveal what we do or don't believe. You see, I think we're not that different from Thomas. And he offers us a gift today by asking for what he needs. He models a way forward if we can do the same and trust some of those stories that we have told ourselves could also be transformed. I don't know about you, but so much feels overwhelming right now in the midst of this ongoing pandemic. So many things are out of control, literally out of our control. And so trying to wrestle with the big idea of resurrection and what it means to be an Easter people can sometimes feel out of reach more often than not. Then I remembered a wonderful song this week that breaks some of this down into small manageable bites for me. I wanna share it with you this morning, not because it is the zenith of all faith statements, but rather because it allows me to stay close to what I believe about God and love and hope in the smallest of things today, which is sometimes all I can do. And I have to believe all that is ever truly being asked of us. I believe there are some debts that we can never repay. I believe there are some words that we can never unsay. And I don't know a single soul who didn't get lost along the way. I believe in socks and gloves knit out of soft gray wool. And that there's a place in heaven for those who teach in Sunday school. And I know that I get some things right, but mostly I'm a fool. I believe in a good strong cup of ginger tea and that all these shoots and roots will become a tree. All I know is I can't help but see all of this as so very holy. I believe in jars of honey put up by careful hands. I believe most folks are doing just about the best they can. And I know there are some things that I will never understand. I believe there's healing in the sound of your voice and the 
Following a song was never really a choice, never really. I believe in a good long letter written on real paper with real pen. I believe in the ones I've loved and know I'll never see again. I believe in the kindness of strangers and the comfort of old friends. And when I close my eyes to sleep at night, it's good to say I believe that life's comprised of smiles and sniffles and tears And in an old gray coat that still has another good year And I know that I get scared sometimes But all we need is here I believe in a good strong cup Ginger tea and that all his shoots and roots will become a tree. All I know is I can't help but see all of this as so very holy. I Thomas, to show up fully and ask for what we need every day. May we learn to be vulnerable enough to ask our deepest questions and share our smallest glimmers of hope and connection. May we be courageous in our willingness to let old stories die so that new stories can change our lives, challenging us to die to self and be reborn in the name of the risen Christ. Because in the end, isn't that the most important first step to remembering what it means to be an Easter people? Alleluia, alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Happy Easter. May it be so. <laughs>